Also, I was trying to FaceTime in Ethan Vandermolen. Um, he's not here with us this morning because he has to have surgery tomorrow on his sinuses. As many of you know, uh, Ethan has CF, and um, he's in the hospital now. He had to get a pick line put in. He has to have surgery tomorrow, and so we want to be praying for him uh, tomorrow. And not just for a good procedure. You know, oftentimes we come to a place of, of desperation where the only thing that we lean on is the doctors. Um, our prayer for Ethan is that more than that the doctors would be present, but that God's Holy Spirit would touch him physically, that um, and he would be healed. And uh, sometimes when you talk about diseases and different things, it's, it's hard to bring up these topics um, because we get to a place that we feel that we can't control it. And so what do we do? We, we lean on others. And this is one of those mornings that I know for Ethan, for Sarah, for Jeff, the greatest thing that we could pray for is that God's healing power uh, would not only fall upon his sinuses, uh, but upon his body. Uh, he needs a touch from God. And so what Easter morning, what better morning to pray for healing for Ethan. And uh, one other celebration, the Schurers had a baby, okay? Eddie and Sue Schur had another little baby boy. And his name is Tyler Reese, and so it is great to celebrate them this morning as well. And I just got to stop. Some of you guys look really good out there. Wow. Even Ethan's wearing a bow tie? Check him out. You look good, man. Dreads in a bow tie go well. I like that. I like that. I had a dream one night. This is total, uh, total tangent. I had a dream one night that I grew dreads, and I thought I looked so cool. So I literally woke up that morning. I told Sue, I said, I got to grow dread. She's like, uh-uh, no way, no way. She's like, your hairline will not make look good with them. So uh, I didn't get to do it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop and we're going to pray. Then we're going to go into a time in the Word. But we are just going to believe that, that God is present through His Holy Spirit. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, it is good to be here. It is good to be here because you have drawn us here in the name of the Father to celebrate the Son, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we ask you that you would rest upon our service, that you would be present as we stop to celebrate our, li our living Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are not only Jesus of Nazareth, but more importantly, you are Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the risen one. I ask you right now that you would put your hand upon Ethan, and we know that he has to have surgery tomorrow, and we know that they are preparing for it, but God, we ask you, we ask you corporately, we ask you as, as their church family that you would put your healing power upon Ethan, that you would touch his body, that you would touch his sinuses, that you would even heal him of this disease that he's had since a child. And God, it sounds crazy to ask these things, but, but we know all throughout your gospels that you showed up, that you were present, that even when someone had prayed from someone for a, from a long distance away, you supernaturally touch them. And so today, this Easter morning, we pray for Ethan. We ask that you would touch them. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be with the Shurers, that they would enjoy their time with their new little guy. And we thank you. So we thank you for this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 16. As many of you know, we've been studying the gospel of Mark for throughout this whole year. And uh, for me, it is the most exciting gospel because of its, its application, its, its practical application of what does it mean to see the Spirit of God among us. 
So Mark chapter 16, when someone finds it on one of the, the seat Bibles, just tell me the page number. 612. So if you have a seat Bible, turn to page 612. I am a daddy of four. And being a daddy of four is awesome. I love it. I got to spend all day yesterday running around, playing softball, playing basketball, going to bed exhausted. It's great. I love it. But one of the times that I remember the most of parenting, because I have three boys and a beautiful little girl. She's not little anymore. She's taller than mommy. But I'll never forget when she learned what a pinky promise was. Do you remember that? All you who have little girls, you know that little pinky promise when, when that little girl's finger wraps around the, the father's other finger. First of all, yours is like 12 times the size. But they truly believe that that pinky promise holds all the weight in the world. They know that that moment that I say, I pinky swear, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a what? A needle in my eye. That that promise will not be broken. I think I'm more afraid of the needle than death. And it's so true. Because little kids run around and they have their best friends, best little girlfriends, and and guys have their best guy friends. And they make these promises that they hold on to and they trust more than life itself. It's interesting because pinky promises are never questioned, right? Do you remember that? A pinky promise was never questioned. And if someone ever broke a pinky promise, it was unfathomable. They didn't understand it. They couldn't get it. It just left them up at night. How could someone break a what? A promise. It's impossible. And that's what Easter is about. It's about the pinky promise. The eternal pinky promise that we're going to look into this morning. So let's read scripture together. Mark chapter 16. Saturday evening, the Sabbath ended. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Stop there. We have to recognize something. And I talked about this on Good Friday. When we are celebrating Easter week, we are not just celebrating a Christian holiday. Okay, notice how I didn't say a religious holiday. During Easter, we are not just stopping to celebrate a Christian holiday. We are stopping to celebrate the Jewish holiday and the Christian holiday together. So when we read all of the Gospels, we cannot forget that. Oftentimes when we read the Gospels, we forget about the Jewish background, the Jewish heritage. So much of all of the Gospels is written to the Jewish people. And you know in Mark that I talked about that Jesus does, what does he do more than walking? What does he do? How does he journey? On a boat. He journeys on a boat. 
We see all throughout Mark that he goes from, from Jewish territory, hops on a boat, and goes to Gentile territory, back to Jewish territory, back and forth, back and forth. It's the one gospel that points that out. So when we think about Easter, it was a very significant time. We see here that there's three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. And it was a Saturday evening that they went out to buy the burial ointments for Jesus' body. And why did they have to wait till Saturday evening? Now, this is significant. Oftentimes, we just say, well, it was the Sabbath, right? It was the Sabbath day, and they had to wait till 7 p.m., and that's when they can start living again. But it was more than that. It was the Passover. It was the most significant holiday of the Jewish calendar. It was the remembrance of liberty. It was the remembrance that God had set his people free from the oppression of the Egyptians. And so here you have it. After the Passover, after the Seder, after gathering and celebrating and being with family and being with friends and being in their Jewish neighborhoods, they stopped to prepare. Now let me tell you a little bit about a, a Jewish burial. Oftentimes we think of burial as just putting someone into a grave. Not so at all. It was really a two-step process. At first they would take the body and they would put it in a tomb and they would wait. And then they would bring ointments to anoint the body. There was nothing significant about the ointments. The only reason they wrapped the body in ointments was because the body was going to go through a decomposition. And it was going to stink. And it was going to smell horrific. Now who cares if it smells or not because it's in a tomb. But what would happen in Jewish tradition was after one year, after a year that the body went through complete decomposition and it got down to the remains, the bones, they would gather the bones of the loved ones and take all of their bones and bring it to another burial place where all of their family remains were. And so actually, it wasn't just Jesus was going to be put in a tomb and then he was just going to stay there forever. There was a process. It was part of Jewish ritual. Now, why is this so significant? Okay, I'm not just trying to wow you with background because there was a purpose for these ladies to go to the grave. They were preparing Jesus' body. Now, let me, think, let me show you two things. How could these people celebrate Passover? How could they celebrate Passover? The Passover was a celebration. It wasn't a memorial. It wasn't a stopping to look back. But everything that they did during the Passover was celebrating liberty. For these ladies, this was very much like having the holiday, that first holiday after losing a loved one. And you gather, and, you're, and everyone is celebrating, and everyone is hanging out, and everyone's like, come on, be happy. You have so much to live for. You'll see better days. Things will get better and greater. And, and even though you lost someone, 
you still have life. But when you lose a loved one, that first holiday is the worst. And so these ladies had went right when the ceremonies had ended. The three of them gathered and they picked up and they went to go to be with the one they loved the most. We forget about that. We forget about the intimacy that's found in Scripture. We forget about the reality that, that we are human and we have pain and we have sorrows and, and we celebrate and we mourn and there's, there's all this stuff that's confused with it. Let me also bring up another point. Weren't these ladies told that Jesus was going to have the resurrection life? These three ladies were disciples. They were three ladies that stayed at the bottom of the cross when all of the main disciples scattered. In some ways, they got it more than the guys. They didn't leave the cross. They understood that he was going to go through a torturous death, that they were going to have to experience Isaiah 53. They understood the prophetic words of what was going to happen. And yet, even when they knew that Jesus' body was going to be resurrected, they were living as if he was dead. You know what's even crazier about that? Did they experience a resurrection in their life? Lazarus. Jesus raised a man from the dead. They knew that. They knew who Lazarus was because he was Jesus' good friend. And even though they were prepared for his death, even though he, they were prepared for his resurrection, they were living as if Jesus was dead. Never to come back to life. Now think about this. Side note. We come to Easter Sunday morning believing that Jesus is what? Resurrected. We believe that Jesus is seated where? At the right hand of the Father. We believe that Jesus' life was the culmination, the buildup to His death with the purpose, the only purpose He was born was to die and to be brought back to life. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, most of our days are lived as if, as if Jesus was dead. Right? Our faith, our trust, our hope. And oftentimes, we are like these three ladies going to church, bringing a, an ointment, a sacrifice, thinking that we are going to appease God and do the right thing. And yet those mean nothing. Because Jesus is alive. 
You know, it's interesting because when you look at the story, they were so wrapped up in loss that their biggest concern of going to the tomb was what? Look at the passage. Verse 3. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Three ladies. The stone was bigger than me and weighed a lot more than me. And their biggest concern was, who's going to open up the tomb? That's desperation. That's hopelessness. Who was going to open their tomb? Not their strength. But they were trying to figure out how could this be done? But as they arrived, verse 4, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they lay his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including who? Peter. That Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. They get to the grave. And oftentimes we think about this passage and this, this, this part of the, the story that, that they're concerned that Jesus' body was stolen. They would have never thought it was stolen because they knew that there were guards were there. They knew that Jesus' body was being watched and observed so the disciples would not come and steal or someone else would not come and steal So when they showed up and they didn't see the guards and they saw that the tomb was open, they weren't concerned that someone stole Jesus' body. They were more concerned, where did they take it? Where did they bring it? And so what do they do? You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. You ever play that game? And you kind of push the person into the hole. I remember my buddies and I, we used to climb through the sewers of Wyckoff and Mawa and Ramsey. I shouldn't say this, should I? <laughs> Young boys, don't do this. Don't listen to your pastor. But what we used to do, I'm telling you the story, it's my life. We used to, down near Wilkes Deli, there was an entrance to the sewage passage. And we would spend, my parents are here, they're like, did you did what? We would spend hours, hours going through Wyckoff and Mawa and Ramsey. And we would see people, and then we would climb up to like the little grades, you know where the, the sewer, the water goes down off the street, what's that called again? Drain thing, whatever. And storm drain. And we would poke our heads out and go, blah, and freak people out. But each hole got smaller and smaller and smaller. And since I was the biggest one, I never had to go first. Todd Masterbony did. 
And so basically, as it got darker and darker, we would push each other. You go first, you go first, you go first. Why? It was the fear of the unknown. Total fear. I mean, they were scared that what was going to jump out at them. We were just scared of a rat. But here they are. Now imagine this. We just think that the stone rolled away and it was bright light and it was all shiny. They walked down into the tomb. They brought lanterns. They brought stuff, supplies with them to work in the dark. And as they lit that lantern, that early Sunday morning, they walked down. And they saw a young man, an angelic being, radiating as he sat on the funeral bed. What's more scary? The young man or him sitting on the funeral bed? I mean, think about that. They were terrified. They were not shocked. They were terrified. And what does the angel say? Don't be alarmed. What's the big deal? Relax. Calm down. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. This angel is confirming what these ladies already knew. They were confirming that everything that Jesus had prepared them for was in motion. And it wasn't what Jesus only prepared them for, but it's what they were told their whole life as little kids. My sons came up to me this week with that whole Bible on TV, and, and it was the weirdest question I've ever been asked. And I've been asked some wild questions. And they walk up to me because we talk about Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about life. And we talk about how to apply them both. And, and they come up and say, Dad, we got to ask you a question. I think, like, all right, great. They go, what's your favorite plague? I'm like, what? <laughs> the frogs? But as little kids... They were told all of this. They were told of a rescuer. They were told of a redeemer. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61, Jeremiah, Elijah, all these stories they knew. But more importantly, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to die. Mark chapter 9. I'm not only going to die, but I'm going to be brought back to life. Mark chapter 14. And all throughout the Gospels and towards the end of Jesus' life, all He did was prepare them. And all the angel was doing that morning was confirming. And He even says, see, look. Look around. Check the tomb. He's not hiding. He's not here. And you know what's amazing about this is how specific this angel is. He will meet you in Galilee. 
Let me turn real quick to Mark chapter 14. But listen to what Jesus said. The last few days of his life, he told his disciples something very specific. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Jesus not only told them how he was going to die, how he was going to be resurrected, but where they were supposed to regroup after he came back to life. I mean, talk about directions. Talk about a spiritual GPS. Talk about the information. He went above and beyond. We think that Jesus just kind of died, said a few words, went to the cross, really didn't prepare these guys, and they're all confused. To the T, Jesus said. And do you know what's so amazing about Galilee is this. It's the place that the disciples were first called. We're going to start off where we first began. And that place in Galilee was the beginning of everything. Not only Jesus' ministry, but Galilee was a place where the disciples themselves had experienced healing had experienced signs and wonders, were invited to teach about the kingdom of God, and that they themselves were sent out from Galilee to heal, to deliver, to bring the kingdom of God amongst the people of God. And he brings them right back where they started. And who does the angel say to make sure that they know where they're supposed to meet up? Peter. Friday night I talked about the best part of the Lord's Supper, that final dinner, was Jesus invited even His betrayers and the people that would deny Him to come and eat with Him. And Jesus' love for Peter was so great that Peter was prepared to be reunited with Jesus. And how often is it in the church that those people aren't welcomed? They feel that they are not allowed to be reinstated. They're not welcomed. That they're not allowed. That they're not part of the body of Christ. And yet, who is the first person that everyone is told to go find? Peter. These ladies went to go prepare Jesus' body to stay in the grave. The angel confirmed that the grave was not strong enough for our Savior. And the grave is one word. It's the proclamation. The grave is the proclamation of who Christ is. The grave is the proclamation that death would not defeat God. And all throughout the, New, all throughout the Gospels, 
all Jesus had done was prepared them. That the death was going to be defeated. Mark chapter 9. We studied this last week. That the grave was not strong enough because God's power was going to overpower death. And Christ's resurrection reveals that. It proclaims that there's more to life than death. But that in Christ and only in Christ, eternity is found. You know what the grave also proclaims? That Jesus is not an ideology. He is not a hope. He is not a, a myth. But rather this, that if Jesus' life actually played out exactly how Mark's gospel tells it, exactly how John's gospel tells it, exactly how Luke's gospel tells it, exactly how Matthew's gospel tells it, then his words of John 10, it's exactly right. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. He who believes in me will never, ever ever die. And how often do we live like he's dead? But you know what else I love about the gospel? Is that everything that Jesus had said is completely true. That yes, because Jesus was resurrected, I believe John 14 that he's preparing a home for me in eternity. But I also believe this to be true. I believe Jesus, that his death is even more about eternity. It's about the present. It's about now. Is that he wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to restore relationships. That he wants to bring life to people who feel emotionally and spiritually dead. And I even believe with all of my life, that just what Jesus had done in the Bible is what he wants to do today. He wants to heal the sick. He wants to deliver those who are either emotionally or spiritually oppressed. Because if he said it, he meant it, he promised it, and we can live in it. I'm telling you that pinky promise means everything. And if that pinky promise to a father, to a daughter means the world, how much for... How much more does God's heavenly promises mean to us? God never breaks a promise. He never breaks a promise. He never left the disciples deserted and alone. Do you know in Mark, there are three endings to this gospel. Look at this real quickly. Mark chapter 16. There's three endings. First, verse 8. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too terrified. Here's what the ladies did. They picked up 
and you would think they would go run and find Peter, what do they do? They ran away freaking out. They were terrified. You won't believe what we saw. Forget about Galilee. You won't believe what just happened. And it stops. What a great way to end the gospel. All right, let's go on. But there's two other endings that were added on at some point. And one of those endings is, is almost the, 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 the longer ending if you read the Gospel of Mark. It's almost like this, this convincing of the disciples. That the disciples had to be convinced. And oftentimes on these Easter Sunday mornings we like to read the, the longer version of the conclusion because it's safe. It's comfortable. The disciples all could come to an agreement and say, yeah, 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 yeah. So since we believe it, everyone else has to believe it, right? Not at all. I love this ending. That the women run away freaking out. Forgetting about Galilee. Forgetting about what the angel had said. Because the, the reality is this. Whether we want to believe it or not, Jesus was risen to life. And I don't have to count on the testimony of any human being. The only thing that I have to count on and hold on to and trust and have assurance in is that my Father, my Heavenly Father, kept to His promise. He promised that I did not have to live a life of oppression. He promised that I did not have to live a life that was going to end in eternal death. And He promised that no matter what I am going through, no matter what pain, no matter what suffering, that He will meet me in that moment. So forget about the disciples. Focus on the emptiness of death. Because in the emptiness of death, there's eternity. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who believes in me will never die. The ladies once go prepare. The angel confirmed. And the tomb proclaims. Think about that for a second before we go to communion. Think about, do you live as if, as if Jesus is dead? Do you? Or is your life lived in the power of the resurrection? Because if you believe in the power of the resurrection, it changes everything. I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up in a moment. We're going to go through communion. He's going he's to pray for us at the end. But I want to take a moment. And one of the beautiful things here at the plant, and this is just on the spot, 
is that we have the opportunity to not just come hear the pastor preach. But what do you think about when you think about this? The power of the resurrection. What do you think about, Myra? Well, I think that if you don't believe that God's alive, you really don't have anything because otherwise life's just empty. Yep, there's an emptiness. You're holding on to whatever you're trying to hold on to. What else? The power of the resurrection. For all you visitors, you're probably freaking out. What's he doing with the microphone? This is what we do on Sundays. Can't change it up because it's Easter, right? Be true to your colors. Can't change his leper. What else? Joe Florio. He always has words of wisdom. What do you think of? Well, it's, it's all real and true. And it's, it's not a... We're not talking about Abraham Lincoln, a dead historical figure. To, to look at Christ as being alive and living and all his words true and having meaning, you can't just read it and say, oh, what a cute phrase and turn the page and go back to the internet or something. It's like, it's, 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 it's all real and true. And it's, it's, if you follow it, you'll, you'll see the truth. And you can only see the truth when it's followed. It's either completely true or completely false. It's either completely true, the whole thing's true, or the whole thing's false. Anyone? Marvin, good old college student. Uh, I'm just amazed that he gave us his only son for us. It's just beautiful. It's especially like going across. It's just, I'm amazed by it. Easter Day, it's about Resurrection Sunday. Mm, good, good. Anyone else? So on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and the cup. And he talked about what was going to happen. And he talked about his body that was going to be broken. And he prepared them. I'm going to go through this. My body's going to be broken for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my new covenant, my blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whose sins? All of humanity's sins. All who are willing to believe. And so on this Sunday morning, I want to invite, first I want to invite Kurt and Jeremy to come up as they lead the tables. But here's what I want to invite I want to invite you up if you follow the way of Jesus. If Jesus is your Savior, I want to invite you up, but here's the way that I want to ask you to come up. I want to invite you up on this Resurrection Sunday to say, Jesus, today I want to learn to begin to live like you're alive. Like you're alive. And let my life be the proclamation of your life. And if you're here and you're just visiting and you, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to chew on it. 
And if you're saying that's the life I need, then all I want you to do is simply come up to the Lord's table and take with us. He who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth is saved. It's that easy. Come up, take the bread and say, Jesus, today, give me your resurrection life. And if you're here and you're just like, hey, I'm just, I'm here to watch. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Relax. Take in the music. Chew on the words. I know this, that I, I, I have always thought that I have to prove God to others. The beauty of Mark's ending is we don't have to prove anything. God loves us so much, he wants to prove himself. And his greatest desire is to prove himself to you. Not through Rob's words or fancy music or a great crowd. No. He will show himself to be real. Because here's why. He desires that no one perish. But that all have everlasting life. So would you come forward and take of the bread and the cup?